Hello Saints and welcome to We Who Find God. I'm Drew Costa and in this first episode of We Who Find God, I talk to Pastor Tim Moore of First Baptist Church Leander. He tells me how he chose God at an early age and how politics shaped his career as a pastor. Enjoy the show. So, um, I'm very happy to have you here, very excited to talk to you because you have not only so many great stories that are just interesting and funny, but your your insight into the scriptures and everything, uh, for me as a new Christian, is just enlightening and inspiring. So I'm hoping that we can, we can talk about a few things today that may help sure. other people wherever they are on their journey, whether they're new, whether they've been around forever with Jesus or whether they're kind of on the fence. So if you wouldn't mind, Tim, could you just give those who don't know you a little bit of a background or of who you are and what you do? I am the senior pastor of First Baptist Church, Leander. Uh, I have been the senior pastor for the last uh, three years. Uh, we have gone through some uh, turmoil of uh, members that wanted to keep the church as it was. Uh, I like to say us four and no more. <laughs> and when when the uh, search committee interviewed me, I laid before them that if they were looking for a pastor that was for the existing congregation and no more, I probably was not their pastor. But if they were interested in what God might do, and for those that did not know Christ in our community and those that were not yet here in First Baptist Leander, that they would find a, the heart of a pastor that is really for outside the church walls. Uh, I like to say getting this church out of their holy huddle and being uh, people in the community that love Christ, live for Christ, share Christ, and uh, watch what God will do with us. So we're now uh, in a little bit of, uh, of an uptick of growth. Uh, you and I met through that congregation. Indeed. You told me you met me online. I did. I had the beautiful <laughs> privilege of baptizing you at First Baptist. Yes, sir. And as I watch you in your journey, uh, I want to always be available to you to walk alongside you, share with you the things I know, uh, make certain that you and every other member of our church never... Uh, have to go through a sad disappointment or loss alone. And on the other end of the spectrum, make sure that none of our members ever celebrate a victory by themselves. Right. That there's a family of believers that are there to rally alongside you and walk For with sure. you. Yeah. But what I really am interested in is how you <clears> found <throat> God. Because you've told this story before, so I'm hoping everyone that's listening will, will enjoy um, this because I have some questions for you about it. So, all right, sure. So you came from um, Kermit, Texas, West Texas. Which yes. when I when I first saw you, I, I was so excited that you came from Kermit. As a, as an Englishman, the only only thing I'd ever heard about Kermit was on the Muppet Show. I never believed there could be a place called Kermit, <laughs> and it's in Texas. So uh, tell me a, a little bit about Kermit. What's Kermit all about? Kermit was an oil town. Uh, it, it was prosperous and uh, desperate 
over the years. Uh, all of that was tied to the economy of the oil industry, a community of about 7,000 people. Uh, my mother was very faithful uh, in the church. My father was an alcoholic. I never saw him pray. I never mm -hmm. saw him go to church. He was a really, really good man, but he was not a righteous man, as the Bible says. So my mother was my big influence uh, in my walk of faith. And I remember there was a, an older young boy and his father, who was a coach, who used to play a ball every Sunday morning as my mother threw me in the back seat of the car <laughs> right. to take me to church. And I always kept wondering and, and wishing how much I could throw the ball season by season right. instead of going to Sunday school and being bored. And uh, I told my mother, I, I said, you know, how come I don't get to play like, you know, they do? And she says, those people are heathen. <laughs> right. And so I thought for, I don't know, some period of time that I wanted to grow up and be a heathen. And I guess, pro I guess probably I was, uh -huh. but I found Christ at nine years of age. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I was sitting on the front right pew, mm -hmm. four rows back from the front, and I was mad at my mother. Uh -huh. And I just walked away from her as the worship was about to begin and went to the front fourth pew and sat down. There was no one there. Was that the first time you'd sat down on your own in church? Ever. Like ever. That. Okay. Uh, it was an independence. It was a breakaway. It was a little mm -hmm. rebellion. Yeah. And I just didn't want to be in the presence of my mother for some reason. So a man came by himself and sat down in that pew that I later recognized as my assistant principal, Johnny Roberts whose wife I never saw in church, but I saw him faithfully over the years. Dr. Hallup Church was preaching. I remember him, not so much what he preached. I just remember it's the first doctor that I had ever known in my life that was not in a, a physician's office. Okay. And at the end of that message, I knew that I was a sinner, that I had thoughts, I had actions, even the rebellion against my mother was wrong. Mm -hmm. And when he made uh, an invitation to come and give my life to Christ that I might be forgiven of my sins, uh, I thought, what a, what a beautiful uh, need that could be met by my faith decision. And I certainly didn't realize all the ramifications of what I was doing that day. <laughs> right. But I did know that I was a sinner, that yeah. I was doing wrong. And if I could be forgiven of those things, then I was, I was certainly interested in taking that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I gave my life to Christ. I remember that Sunday evening, uh, I was baptized. I had on a little white t-shirt and a pair of cut off blue jeans. And I remember when I went down into the water and came up, I remember how clean I felt. Wow. And I went home and my mother took my little wet t-shirt and shorts and hung them on the black back clothesline of our backyard. And by the time I went to bed, some of those recurring negative thoughts, some of those things that I knew had been worthy of my repentance came back to me. Uh -huh. And before I went to bed, I felt dirty again. Right, right, right. So I struggled for a long time. Can a decision 
in a moment. And a water baptism cleanse me of those things that are on the inside of me. So so these are thoughts you were having as a nine-year-old, because they're, they're pretty complex thoughts. Well, as I described to you, I remember how clean I felt going into the waters. Uh, I wasn't certain whether it was that act that was actually the a crowning moment of my salvation or whether it was my decision to give my life to Christ and repent and ask God to forgive me of my sins. And so when I went to bed with some of those same negative thoughts about people, I thought, so what do I have? What, what really do I have in Christ? Right. So I struggled. I didn't have a, a male uh, spiritual influence in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mainly had female Sunday school teachers. Uh, we had a we had a wealthy businessman that had built a, 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 the fellowship hall across the street from the church, and I remember as a little boy going into that fellowship hall many, many, many times, mm-hmm. and I thought the word fellowship meant pink linoleum floor, <laughs> out of tune World War II piano, and pink lemonade with day old cookies. That's what I thought fellowship was. Right. And I thought that for a long time. As you would at that age. Uh, I graduated, went off to college, uh, found the world, mm-hmm. uh, didn't have a lot to do with church, but I became very political in, in uh, Lubbock in that community. And one day I'm down because I'm a leader of our religious, uh, of our Republican uh campus organization i'm down at first baptist church lubbock mm-hmm. and they're trying to bring liquor by the drink into the community and in lubbock you have to go to, out of the city limits in order to buy your liquor and i'm sitting in there with lots of other religious people i'm raising money to stop liquor by the drink in the community package stores and all the other conservative religious groups were writing checks and putting them in the center table. And here comes a man in coveralls. I didn't know him. He sat down and he wrote a sizable check and put it in the middle. And we continued our conversation about how to politically activate keeping package stores out of the city limits. And as I walk into the parking lot, I discovered that that man in coveralls is a very wealthy man by the name of Pinky, owner of Pinky's Liquor Stores. And my mind kind of exploded thinking, Uh so here I am in a Baptist church raising money for conservative, religious, uh, political, Republican causes, partially funded by the liquor industry. (laughs) And I thought, isn't politics strange bedmates? Oh, boy. So my, my view of church was like, Wow. As I'm reading the scriptures, I discover that the wheat and the tares grow together. And the the disciples wanted to pick the tares and get rid of them, bundle and burn them and get them out of the church. And the Lord said, no, they'll grow together. But there will be a judgment day and there will be a day of harvest. And there will be those that are gathered and bundled and taken into the storehouse. And there are those that will be bundled and burned. 
And I thought, wow, that's that's exactly what I just saw played out in the political arena. So all of all of these things that that you know, you, you always tell me that, that every answer is in the Bible. You, you know, so th- th- those things I can I can well believe. It's always nice when we get these sort of confirmations of things that this is still happening in our our world today. But, but let me, let me just take you back a few steps from that, if you don't mind. Sure, um, sure. What happened for you between the ages of of say nineteen and, and eighteen when you left high school? How was how was your faith growing then? Was it growing, or were you still trying to wrestle with what this all means? I was trying a few churches uh-huh. and I just, and I didn't feel like I found the place that would really uh, nurture my soul or would allow me to live the life that I thought was my, was my destiny. Mm-hmm. My, my destiny was politics. Uh, I was keenly, I was volunteering for Senate races in Texas I was taking political science courses at Texas Tech University. Right. Uh, that's where my interest was. And so there was a seed planted in that journey from college uh, to a good portion of my professional career in politics. Uh, I call it my uh, beef, bourbon, and blonde <laughs> years. Okay. And so I, I loved a good, thick ribeye steak. I love bourbon, uh-huh. and I found that there's a lot in politics that happen to be blonde, and all of those found my fascination for a good long period of time. And I tried to reconcile that life with my life of faith, and they were incongruent. They just right. didn't fit. And what age would you say you were at this time? I would say that those... Uh, that appetite and those thoughts went into my thirties. Okay. And so what I discovered in church were people that could call themselves Christian, Mm -hmm. but were more secular, worldly, uh, less than what I had grown up with in first Baptist church or what I really believed the Bible would describe for me, those who were genuine in the faith. I found a I found a hypocrisy between the way life was being lived by people in the church and those who I believed were genuinely uh, Christ followers. Uh-huh. I found my fascination and my significance in politics instead of in my faith. Right. And I felt like there were way too many times when the decision that I was confronted with faith or my life of politics, mm-hmm. that I needed to make a career, I needed to make a living, sure. I needed to, to allow, somewhere along the way, somebody told me, if you'll find your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> uh, the problem with that philosophy is that the world offers too many uh, passions that are not, that are not godly. Right. And so all of those temptations, uh, I think I ran most of them to their natural uh, conclusion yeah. and found a real emptiness on the inside of me. So I'm in Austin. I'm in the lobby. I'm making an extremely good living. And now I'm broken and have lost a marriage that I could not prevent. Right. I was not 
the cause of that marriage being lost, but when some you cannot control another human being. No. And when they are not interested in your life of faith and are not interested in continuing to love you if they ever did, you have no control. Mm-hmm. So I go back to a great church and every Sunday for months and months and months, my mother calls me from Kermit, Texas at one o'clock Sunday afternoon to ask me, did you go to church in Sunday school this morning? And out of my deep love for my mother, I would never have lied to her. And I told her I hadn't found a church. And she says, well, you need to get in church and go find a church. So I was watching television church and there's two great churches in Austin, Texas. I'll not name either one until it's appropriate. But one's pastor told me that hell was not for real. And the quote he made on television was, hell has no meets or bounds, Mm. that it is symbolic for evil, but there's no place of eternal fire. And I thought, wow, I hope he's right. Because (laughs) I would certainly be a candidate for consideration for a place like that, some of the (laughs) life I've lived. And then I heard another man on television that every week would say, we have a heart on uh, the city. I'd love to be your pastor and you need a savior. And so through that continual invitation, I went one day and I, I could easily have gone the other way but something drew me uh, the correct way. Right. And my mother continued to call, Tim, did you go to church in Sunday school? And I started going to church, but not Sunday school. She was not satisfied with that. <laughs> so she said, Tim, you need to go find a Sunday school where people will love you, know you, be in relationship with you, and help hold you accountable. So I didn't go for a long time, but I finally went. And then I couldn't wait to call my mother at one o'clock to tell her I had been to church in Sunday school. And she said, baby, what, what was it like? And I said, mother, don't ever ask me to go again. I'm never going back. (laughs) And she said, why? And I said, because those people are old. They don't live life like I do. And they don't understand me. And my mother, in her godly wisdom, said these words to me. If it is that bad, you need to go help them change it. Mm. And I thought, wow, I was so proud of myself that I went. And I'm going to be honest with her that I'm not going back. And now she lays at my feet, go help them change it if it's that bad. So I did. Ah. I was on... I was called one day uh, to be uh, to come into ministry on that church. I was there for 12 years. Six of those years was with the pastor that had preached that sermon to me one day on the television. And one day, as he put me on staff, he said, Tim, just don't mess it up. We're <laughs> going to look nationwide for your replacement. But he never replaced me. And one day he said, would you serve on a search committee? 
And I said, Pastor, I've never served on a search committee. He said, I know, but the years you have served me, you have been my outreach and evangelism director. Mm -hmm. You have been my uh, pastor of single adults. Uh, I need those voices on the search committee. So I was part of the committee that called our new young pastor. And the day that we called him and he came to be our, our senior pastor, he asked me as he came into the room to interview, he said, Tim, how are you and Connie? And he knew more about me and my wife than I knew about him. And I had been studying him for three months. Mm -hmm. And he said, Tim, are you going to go to Lubbock with us to be faith trained? And I said, Pastor, I'm in the middle of the worst legislative session I've been in in my career. But I'm going to go to Lubbock to be faith trained. So he took all of staff, there were about 18 of us, to learn how to evangelize without being confrontational, mm. with being a real easy conversation around Christ. And I went. The first night we were there, he called my room and he said, Tim, I'd like to take you to dinner. And I said, well, I thought you were going to take all of us to dinner. And he said, well, I am, but I'd like to talk to you. And in uh, that meeting with him over dinner, he said, Tim, I'd like you to consider coming on to staff full time. And the words to him were these words. I'm honored, but you can't afford me. And he laughed and he said, I'm sure I can't, but mm -hmm. God can. Mm -hmm. Would you pray about it and come help me? and be what I think God has for your destiny. So I did that. It took me a year to lay down all of my political clients, the contracts of those clients. Mm -hmm. And Connie thought I had lost my mind. And she says, does this really make sense to you? And I said, well, it does. And she said, well, tell me how you know it's God and not you. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, that was the question. Great question. And my answer was, Connie, I can't not do it. I have to do this. Mm. And she said, then if that's what God has laid on your heart, then I'm with you. Six months went by with just a, I, I don't know whether to call it meager income or nominal income or pittance. I'm, I'm not certain what the right word for, but it was certainly, it was certainly not a, a livelihood. Right. I got a phone call from the Southern Baptist of Texas convention asking me if I would come interview to be their legislative liaison to the convention here in Texas. Wow. And I told them that I didn't lobby anymore. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we understand that, but we have talked to your former pastor and he has recommended you. And I said, well, he's not my pastor. I need to talk to my pastor. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we already have. 
<laughs> you ambushed. So I called my pastor and he says, Tim, what do you think God has been preparing you for? Exactly. Our correct? churches need a voice in the public square. Marriage needs to be down at the political table of influence. Mm -hmm. Children need Christ. Our expression of faith needs to be free in public. Mm -hmm. uh, God has prepared you for this moment, my friend. Go interview. So I walked into a group of the most godly white-haired men I'd ever been in their <laughs> council in my life. And they said, Tim, tell us about yourself. And I said, well, I guess the first thing I need to tell you is that I have been divorced. That's an elephant in the room in the Baptist world. Right. And those men said, we know that. Tell us about your salvation experience. Mm -hmm. So we spoke for about three hours. And at the end of it, they said, we need to go down the hall and sign the contracts with the attorneys. Uh, we're going to be in prayer for you. So I came back to my church. I was the missions pastor. I was the single adult minister. And now I'm the legislative voice for wow. uh, millions of Southern Baptists in Texas in the most conservative convention on earth. Mm -hmm. And there was never again a question of whether God was involved in my life Amazing. Or that he had made a way. Yeah, that's amazing. You know that that idea. I, I think for for me, getting to the point where I am, and and realizing that even though I wouldn't say I believed in God before I believed in God, I can look back now and know that I was being trained by God anyway, whether I believed it or not. Right. And and it's it's always amazing to me now when I think about these things. Like, how did I get into that position? How did I get there? How did I make that choice? And now I'm sitting here like, well, I know now why I did all those things. And here you are going through all of you went went through. And now your, you know, meager wages that you were earning. And it's like, okay, Tim, now you need to speak for millions of people. How amazing is that? It's just amazing. You know, one of the things that's so interesting in my journey is that I was not the one to quickly volunteer. Mm -hmm. I was not the one that was the first choice to be on somebody's team. Uh, when God called me, I, I went, what I would normally say was with great concern, hesitation, resistance, I guess the way to describe it is I went kicking and screaming when God selected me for <laughs> something to do. Right. And and yet he always made a way. Yeah. And I never could see God where he was taking me. I could never see God the journey he had planned for me, but I could always see his hand and still can confirm his hand today right. as I look back on the journey he has taken me on. Yep. Uh, I, I have this real genuine belief of my journey. God's promises are always true, mm -hmm. but God's plan is unfolding. 
So he puts people in places sovereignly so that if we know him, we can claim his promises for those people and pray that his promises will work out to change the circumstances in which those people find themselves, that he alone may receive the glory. So here we are in church. Everybody doesn't know where we're going, but my responsibility in that pulpit is to preach truth, preach the word, Mm -hmm. give them the confidence that God is true to his word and Mm -hmm. true to every promise he has ever made to us, and pray in such a way that he would change the circumstances that our people are in so that those circumstances change so that God gets the glory of what he does among us. So I'm just a, I'm just the band leader. I'm just an an orchestra conductor. Uh, I, I had a member one time that says, you know, pastor, most Sundays, my toes feel stepped on at the end of your service, (laughs) which tells me you're probably doing your job. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way to describe what may be a little uncomfortable or may be to you, but yet it's recognized in most people as truth. Uh, my, My job is to preach truth, preach the word, rightly divide it, don't compromise and don't tickle ears, yes. uh, but to love people, love people with the truth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, you know, the, the, some of the things you've talked about that I'd like to sort of just maybe discuss a little bit more. Um, the idea of church for somebody who's, who's new is, is, is quite a daunting idea, right? And, and it took me a while, you know, I've been to, over the years, many, many different churches, many different denominations, always trying to find God in all of these different places and sure. never really succeeding. It, it never, nothing really made sense to me. And I know it was me getting in my own way. I understand all that now. But what what is it that somebody who's new to to Christianity, to to God, what is it that they really ought to be looking for in a church? Well, let me say there are many flavors <laughs> of religion out there. Yep. Let, let me tell you what the Bible says about itself, about the ecclesia, those who are called out, those yep. who are separated uh, for God. Uh, I'll tell you something that, that, not only myself, but our staff is now dealing with because of me, the way I see ministry and the way I see church. Mm-hmm. For 175 years, what I have found in church most of the time is that if you will believe and you will behave, you can belong. Right. And I've never questioned that until I got into the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And what I believe a genuine New Testament church ought to be mm-hmm. is a place, uh, let me just say from what I've just said, 
church ought to be a place where if you you come to believe, even before you believe, you ought to kind of belong because these people love you in Christ's name. Right. So if you can belong and learn to believe, Christ and the Holy Spirit in you will teach you how to behave. But that's not the model that you normally see in church. Yeah. So we find churches where there's lots of life coaches. Uh, the, the pulpit is not to be a life coach. There's a lot of people in pulpits that are not willing to preach the full counsel of God. Uh, they don't like to preach the tough stuff. They don't like to preach cultural issues because they either water it down or reconfigure it or what I like to call scripturally gymnastic the scripture. <laughs> yep. And so what you have to know about the genuine New Testament church is it is the only institution that Christ promised that he would build and it's the only institution that Christ shed his blood to purchase. So what you ought to find at the core of every church you enter is that they are making much of Christ. They want to see Jesus. Mm -hmm. When Jesus was walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, I find that a real interesting perspective of what Christ said they're, they're asking him, do you understand what's going on? Do you understand? Have you heard? And what he talks about, Jesus himself on the road to Emmaus talks about <clears throat> the prophets and what they said about the coming Messiah. Mm -hmm. He's talking about himself and he's there in the flesh and then they don't know who they're talking to. And as they sit down to break bread, he blesses it and then he's gone and they recognize that he was the risen Lord. So the real New Testament church ought to always and never not make the focus of every message Christ, mm -hmm. uh, Christ and him crucified. So if you, if you find churches that are culturally relevant, if you find churches that are programmatic in everything they do, it's just programs, we're having fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I want to be a little gentle, but not, too much. You don't go to church for Starbucks. You don't go to church for climbing walls. Right. You don't go to church for entertainment. You go to church to find Christ and him crucified. And I don't need to worry about what other churches are doing. I need to worry about as the under shepherd of First Baptist Leander, I need to worry about what I'm doing and what we're doing and the message that Christ is coming again for his church. Mm -hmm. And so I pray as one of my flock that you hear Christ crucified and the invitation to come to Christ that your sins might be forgiven mm -hmm. or that you might stop visiting church and come join the church and be part of what right. God's trying to do on earth. Right. Uh, and and loving one another. And I would say that our church, I pray the pulpit is scripturally sound. You can't stir our people when they break ranks in the pews and start loving one another. You almost, <laughs> matter of fact, Brother Rick, our, 
our music minister sings a verse or two before they recognize he's back to trying to lead them in worship. And the truth is, we only we only stop because we know that oh, Rick's singing. We better go back now. And 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 Drew, even at the end of our service, uh, we have to flash the lights to get them to go to lunch. <laughs> uh, yep. It's a gathering place of yes. those of the redeemed, and yep. what a joy it is to see that. Uh, the church is the place where it, it's actually a picture of the heaven reality. Mm-hmm. What we are in church will actually be played out in the reality of heaven someday. Uh, a church ought to be a place that is the protector of divine truth. Uh, if you can't find truth in church, where are you going to find it? Right. And and the church, uh, and the other thing that I would just say, not just generally, but is an anchor in a great church. Church is the place where people are matured in Christ. Yeah. It's where they're anchored in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the real New Testament church is the birthing place for evangelism. Uh, if, if the church is going to be a holy huddle and is not focused on winning the world to Christ, Christ might as well call us home. Right. Uh, now, when you, when you talk about being evangelistic, the command that Christ gave us in the Great Commission there's most churches live the great commandment. Mm-hmm. Few churches live the great commission. And what I try to do in our church leadership is develop the great commandment to love one another, uh, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another as yourself. Mm-hmm. But Christ said that we are to share the gospel with every living creature and make disciples. The go is not the command. The, 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 the verb that is the uh, primary in the Great Commission is make disciples as you go. Mm. Make people love Christ, know the scriptures, mm. serve him, live for him, and one day he'll claim us. Uh, and I pray our church are those things to those who either see us online or come uh, through a live experience week by week. Yeah, I think that that seems like one of the most important markers. I think for me is is that church isn't just a social club, right? It, it's not just somewhere you go on Sunday to have a a bit of a get together to show you're righteous and and to have a, a chat with people, and then that's it. Completely forget about it for the rest of the week. Uh, 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 uh. Let me make one other point, and, and mm. that point is that there is absolutely no defense. There's no scriptural defense for not belonging to a local congregation of believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the scripture says, don't forsake. Do not set aside and forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Right. It's where we pray for one another. We encourage one another. We love one another. We serve one another. The, the 89 one another's. You can do it out in the world, but you learn it. You learn it at church. Right. And that's the thing is, is for me, there are so many people in church who, who are, are role models on 
like you, it's how to understand scripture, how to how to talk about God, how to um, you know go out into the world and be bold with your faith. Right. And I, right. And I think to me, there's 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 a whole um, the church for a successful church as i see it that needs to also be one of the most primary things that they do is go out and be bold right it's not Absolutely. just about let's Absolutely. go and let's go and sing some songs let's have a good time and then let's see you next sunday for the next episode it's like okay let's let's be bold you know and i like that that's what you preach which is what i like but 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 there's another piece to leadership mm-hmm. in the church and that is most churches are more committed to talking about evangelism than evangelizing. And so it's easy to teach people how to evangelize, but you have to lead them to evangelize and show them. You know, when, when, uh, when the Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe, to the Jew first and then the Gentile uh, in Romans. What, what that means literally is that it's not your ability to evangelize. It's not how well you've memorized. It is that the gospel itself, the word of God, is dynamite. It is a dynamite power of God to save those who will believe. So when you go out and you're intimidated to knock a door, have a conversation, talk to somebody on the other side of a gas pump about religious things and faith, and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you need to realize that it's not a rejection of you if they reject it. It's a a rejection of God himself. You and I couldn't save anybody, right? but you and I are responsible for sharing the good news that anybody, any of us could be saved. Yeah. Uh, and so the point is evangelism is teaching people, showing people, modeling for people the power of God to save. Uh, it doesn't always save them on the first time. Okay, so we planted a seed or someone else had planted a seed and we're watering that seed. The Bible said it is always God who gives the increase. He does the saving. We do the planting and sowing and watering and and sharing the good news. There is a sense, I think, when I was agnostic, if, if anybody would mention the word Jesus or anything like that, the first thing I'd do, my eyes would roll. Oh, God. Here we go. Here's another crazy. What are you going to say? Uh-huh. Jesus and, freak. Yeah, and and I and I feel so terrible now that that I would I've I've done that to so many people in my past, and what I hope that I can learn from them, like you just said, is that this isn't about me, right? I need to take me out of no, all of this. No. You know, I am the, the the conduit for my voice for the Holy Spirit to speak through me, and and being emboldened to know that um, even though it sounds like me speaking. It's not me speaking. I'm, no, I'm being not. led no. to to these yes. these situations. Well, well, Paul, 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 Paul described it this way: I, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. It's Christ in me that's 
uh, Paul said, I have to die daily. Now, now, if you just say, well, what kind of a church are you looking for? You're looking for one that's real easy for you to go die. You're looking for real easy for the flesh to surrender itself to a holy God who desires to live his life through you, mm-hmm. uh, through, through your talent and your time and your treasure, uh, that you would, you would give him glory in all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about a, a, a Jesus freak, uh, you're no different than, you know, uh, Bible says they they were first called Christian at Antioch. Mm-hmm. Well, Christian wasn't a good word. No, uh, it, it was a it was a mocking word. It, it yeah. meant look at those little Christ, <laughs> yes. look at those little holy Jesus people over there. Well, yeah. But what God took was the mocking of the world and has changed the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I are Christians. We're little Christ. Uh, because somebody shared the good news with somebody exactly. from 2,000 years ago to somebody sharing it in your realm exactly, and you making a decision that that's the truth. Yeah. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. Uh, you believe that or you don't believe that. But the more you search, uh, you know, the, the Bible says, if you will diligently seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Uh, he says, I knock, and if you'll mm-hmm. open, mm-hmm. I'll come in. Exactly. Uh, he's a, God's a gentleman, and he's not going to occupy, he's not going to come in and take over occupied space. Yeah. So when you make room for him, he'll come in and change your life and perspective and give you, in John 10, 10, Christ told us why he came. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you said, Jesus, why did you come? He says, I came that you, meaning those who have stepped out in faith to believe him, that you may have life abundantly. That's why I came. Yeah. Uh, well, people think they have life, but they don't have life. Uh, they don't have life the way God intends you to have life until you know Jesus. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it so amazes me. Um, the the transformation that I, I kind of feel happening with me is is so weird that that when my 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 friends and my family we talk about it because they don't they don't believe in in God at all and I talk about it and they first off they're kind of angry at me it's like oh, what's happened to you and I'm like Jesus freak it's like, oh, what how could you how could you believe this stuff I'm like you know what once you do something just profound changes you and and it's hard to explain in the very beginning, which is part of why I want to talk to people like you to help me understand all of that's going on. But something does happen, and it, and it is not quantifiable. We cannot really say what it is, but something is happening, and that is that is the amazing part of all of this. Is whether you think that Christianity is crazy or there's no such thing as Holy Spirit. Well, I can attest myself that something is very different about me from that moment of accepting Jesus, and I can't really explain it. I just know inside me something is different, and something is different every single day, and it grows and it grows and it grows. And it's 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 one of these just strange phenomena that I don't think you can ever really grasp until you experience it. Well, uh, I did a little... Wednesday night study uh, in Genesis 1-1. Mm-hmm. 
God created the heavens and the earth. And we just, we got stuck for an hour on the word created, <laughs> uh, that God spoke the world into existence. Right. Uh, he spoke the world into existence by speaking the word. Yeah. Uh, God didn't fidget and fashion and God spoke and it was, well, the link to that beginning is that you, when you come by faith, you literally are a new creation in Christ. Mm-hmm. You're not a fixer upper. You're not a, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to paint you up and sell you for more money. Uh-huh. You are something that you never were. Yeah. You in the flesh were born and you were a slave to sin. And when you come by faith in Christ and the spirit births in you, this new creation you are now a slave to God, mm-hmm. but, but it's not a slave like you have to. Mm-hmm. It's a bond servant that desires to, because life is so much fuller and richer and deeper and meaningful and significant. Uh, you discover those things, but you discover them by being in the word. You, you and I would have no idea who God was, what he thinks. We'd be in darkness. We wouldn't even be here. But he spoke the word, and so God God uses his word to change you. Uh, th- there were two scriptures I didn't mention in my journey from the political world to church and then serious about, uh, I questioned for a good time whether or not I was really saved at nine years of age. Yep. I went back to First Baptist Kermit, Texas, and stood in the place I met God. Mm-hmm and prayed, do I need to do this again for real? Wow. And I was confirmed in my own spirit that I was a child of God and that God knew my heart and God wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life Mm -hmm. and God started me on a journey that was His. So I've gone through all the circumstances of life and stuff to get me where God wanted me to be. Now I can believe all my failures were of no good. And that was me wandering in the wilderness. Or I can believe that God had set me on a destiny to get me where he wanted me to be. And I believe God journeyed me to where he wanted me to be. I'll give you an example. Uh, Down at the legislature, when I gave my life to Christ and came into the ministry, people used to call me a preacher. Not, respectfully, uh-huh. goody two shoes. There's our, you know, the little preacher boy. There's a, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was a mocking. Yeah. But to this day, some of those friends, mm-hmm. when they have a difficult day and a dark cloud shows up in their life, they now call mm-hmm. and they say, preacher, mm-hmm. would you pray for me? Right. You need to know, what do I do? And, and that mock and ridicule has turned into a deep relation of friendship that now has faith attached. And I'm able in some instances, in a good number of instances, to have a scriptural godly influence on their lives in a way that I would never have had had we never met. Yeah. But there were two scriptures I'll mention quickly in my journey. I don't want to go to Sunday school. I'm coming to church because my mother's going to call at one o'clock. One was Romans eight, one, 
I had failed. I was miserable. I was beef, bourbon, and blondes. <laughs> and so I'm reading the scriptures, and I come across Romans 8, 1, and I'm studying it uh, in my apartment. And Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now, now change my life. Hmm. There is therefore now no condemnation on those uh, who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I paused on now. This isn't a someday promise. There is right now no condemnation. No one can condemn you mm-hmm. when you walk by faith, in the, not in the flesh, letting the flesh die to itself, as Paul said he had to do daily, and living in the Spirit of God. I didn't do it perfectly. I still don't. Sure. Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I ought to do. And I thought, amen, that's me. For sure. Thank God, Paul, you're in there yeah. for me. Well, but I'm a whole lot better at not doing the things I shouldn't do. And I'm a whole lot better at doing the things I ought to do because I allow my flesh to die daily. But here was the other scripture. I didn't understand this conflict in my life. I'm still in politics. I'm still trying to make a difference for our Baptist world. It's now from medical and business and that community. Now it's the Christian community and Baptist churches and the faith community in the public square. And that's now my sole attention. And the other scripture that changed me was Hebrews 11. I think it's 11, four, maybe 14, but it says, for this one suffering, meaning Christ on the cross, mm-hmm. for this one suffering, he has perfected, accomplished, those who are being sanctified. And the Christian walk made sense to me. Christ has already perfected me. I'm perfect in Christ. If I die, I'm going to heaven. Mm -hmm. But I'm not yet sanctified. I don't yet look like Jesus. I'm on that road of a whole lot better, but he's still working on me. And the light went on. And that's a message. I couldn't do it well enough, perfect enough, clean enough, consistent enough. But I started the journey by faith. And God accomplished for me my perfection and glory. But he's still working on me. And that's the Christian life. Yeah. And, and it clicked and it made sense. And so the, the question is, how are we doing? And I will promise you, I'm doing better than I was yesterday. Right. This week's going to be better than last week. I am more sanctified and committed to the things of Christ. And I will be tomorrow and the next, but challenges will come. Temptations will come, but I know in whom I have believed. Uh, and I am confident that he will complete the journey that he has for me. Uh, I can be hard headed. I can't see it. I can misunderstand. Uh-huh. But instead of me being knee jerk and hard headed and obstinate to the things of God, 
I pray that my spirit is right, that I'm living in great humility, mm-hmm. that I'm anchored in the word. When I can't find an answer, I go to the scriptures and I find my scripture. I was telling somebody Wednesday night, they're, they're like, well, how do you know God's will? And I said, well, let me test you. God told me today, you need to give me a hundred dollars. He looked at me and he said, so what do I do? And I said, what are you going to do? I've told you, God told me that you need to give me a hundred dollars. And he said, pastor is the right answer. When God confirms that with me, I will. <laughs> I said, see how much progress you've made tonight. Uh, oh my gosh. And I said, I said, let me, when I tell you the answers are in the Bible, let me give you a little journey. The, the Bible says the poor will always be with you. So you're not trying to solve poorness. Mm-hmm. So pastor may be poor, but I'm not trying to solve poorness. So uh, the Bible also says when pastor asked me for, God told me to give me a hundred dollars. Doesn't the Bible also say if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, okay, pastor's working. Okay, maybe. And I said, and then you come to this place where you say, what else does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says, carry one another's burdens. But each should carry their own load. Would would that be it? So, pastor, why do you need $100? Well, they're going to turn my lights off at three o'clock this afternoon if I don't pay my electric bill, but I can pay you back next week. Oh, well, you didn't. Well, of course God wants you to have a hundred dollars. <laughs> and I said, you, you, do you see how, ask God, pray to God. He'll give you an answer, not in black and white, unless it's the word or that still small voice. But God's word will give you the direction by which to live your life. Uh, take confidence in the word. Fantastic. Anyway, just a practical example. I, th- I think we all need practical examples. It, it's, it's very easy to, um, especially when you're new to, to the whole journey, just trying to figure out what's right and what's not right. What, what is, what is God trying to tell me to do? And what, what is my, my own ego trying to tell me to do? You know, these right. are the, the conflicts. I think a lot of, of, of especially new Christians will, will come across. Cause I do, I'm like, is that, is that me and my pride saying that, or is, is that kind of like really what I ought to be doing? So just having those tips just helps to think about. Uh, I, I had a, uh, I saw a little clip of a comedian, Christian comedian yesterday. Uh, if you've got time for it, I'll be brief, but for sure. he, he, he said the, the story of a lady who uh, had her windows open, her house was hot and she didn't have any money and she was out of food and she was praying, praying, praying that God would send some groceries. So her neighbor, who is an agnostic, heard the prayer, and he went down to the grocery store and bought her some groceries and put it on the front door, on the porch, and knocked the door and ran and hid in the shrubs. Right. And she came and she said, oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, for answering my prayer. And he jumps out of the shrubbery, and he says, I knew. I knew you'd give God thanks, and I want you to know I did that. And I don't believe in God, and you're praying to a God that doesn't exist. I bought those groceries for you. You need to thank me, not thank God. And she said, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And he said, I bought those groceries. Your God doesn't exist. And she turned and she said, Lord, and thank you 
for allowing the devil to play to pay for them. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. God is so is sovereign over all matters, and that's He'll sure. make a way when there seems to be no way. Yeah, good, Pastor. Be- before I let you go, um, I wonder if you could just give uh, new believers or people that just maybe just a little bit on the fence or haven't quite opened that door yet. What what sort of uh, advice would you give people just at that point in their journey to to really to embrace this life a little bit more? I, I want to go on the record of saying, <laughs> and I'm going to use the word hate, and that's a strong word. Okay. I hate religion. Okay. I'm not a very religious person, but I love Christ, and I'm a Christ follower. Gotcha. And to anyone who is in a circumstance where they don't understand or in a place where they don't understand life or in a place of loss, in a place of confusion or depression or value of life, Mm -hmm. what I want you to know is that God created you. He created you in your mother's womb before you ever were. God knows you. And you can either believe that or not believe that. But the Bible, the place of truth where God spoke the worlds into existence, tells you he loves you. So if you're trying to find somebody or some place where you can put your faith for tomorrow, the Bible says, if you will just come to the word, John 1, 1 says in the beginning, in the very beginning, before anything was, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, it's that God who is light and hope and eternal life to those of you who give your life to Him by faith. By faith, you can't earn it. You don't need to clean yourself up and come to God. You need to step out in faith. And what I would say to you is you go to the place to find God, And I think there's some theological soundness to what I'm about to say. The only prayer I believe that God ever hears of the lost is the cry to be saved that you might have relationship and know him. So if you don't know him and you're confused or you're just in that place of despondency, cry out to God in Psalm 40. It's a great place to open the Bible. David wrote these words. He said, I was in a horrible pit. And some of you may be in a horrible pit. The problem with a horrible pit, it's a miry horrible pit is the way the description uh, calls it. A miry pit is you can't get out. It's too deep. Nobody's there to hear you. And so you start marching wall to wall, wall to wall, wall to wall. And it's like that old thick red clay out there in uh, West Texas. If it's a little bit moist, it just clumps on mm-hmm. the bottom of your boots. Mm-hmm. And to where you get so heavy treading clay-packed boots that you fatigue and, and there's no hope. And the Bible says these words, I was in a miry, horrible pit. And I cried out to the Lord. And he heard my voice. And it says, and he lifted me out of the pit put me on solid ground and put a song in my heart. 
Now, if that's where you are, life doesn't make sense. You've lost your way. Cry out to God. He will hear you. And he will lift you out of that circumstance. He'll find a way. And he will set your feet on solid ground, truth. And he'll put a song in your voice. So if you just want to open up the word where you're going to find God, meet God, discover his character, discover what he thinks, discover. Uh, A lot of people say it's a rule book, and I don't want to read the rule book. You can't satisfy the rules of God. God requires perfection for you to be in his presence. Now, you're going to fatigue in that old miry pit trying to be perfect. So stop trying to be perfect and take the path of progress. You can be a little better tomorrow than you are today because you're closer to God. Get in his word and read his word. And what you'll find is truth. You'll be converted to things you've never thought of before. And you'll meet a God who created you and has a plan and a purpose for you. And he has a hope for you. And it's a good plan. And it's going to get you to the destiny he has for you. But you're lost. You're lost in the wilderness. So cry out to him by prayer. Don't be religious. Step out in faith and trust that God has a purpose and a plan. And every promise he makes you, he will honor if you'll continue to pursue him. If you diligently seek him with all your heart, the Bible says, you will find him. The Bible says, knock, ask, knock, and it will open. And you shall have those things that you desire if you'll come to Christ. That's my encouragement to people who don't come to church. Uh, Here's what I'm going to tell you if it's First Baptist Leander. The first day, you're going to belong. You're going to belong to a family of believers that love you Mm -hmm. and accept you the way you are. And number two, I pray that by the preaching and the teaching and the discipling of our Bible studies or services that you'll learn to believe. And when you learn to believe, you'll learn to behave the way God would have you behave. Absolutely. Uh, It's a great journey. There's no greater journey in life. It doesn't mean that you don't, you can't be a plumber. Doesn't mean you can't be whatever God's given you as a profession. What you become is a missionary plumber. Or you become a missionary counselor or a missionary carpenter. Mm -hmm. And he has put you in a place where you can have great influence for the kingdom and see the world change and see people who have no hope have the first hope they've ever really, really, really had in life because Christ came, paid the price for your sin, and gives you life as you step out and walk by faith. Mm. Pastor, thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me and, and talking about everything. Um, I, I absolutely have to talk to you again some other time because I have way too many questions and not enough time. But thank you. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you uh, as the, the shepherd of the church. I appreciate you uh, for your your just your faith and your inspiring faith that you have. And I was just so excited to learn what I came from you. So thank you. Let, let me end with one little piece. It comes sure. from Acts seventeen eleven. I would encourage people that are not people of faith, that have never heard the church, aren't sure Christ is real or even God, 
Uh, call yourself a Berean. There's a group of people called the Bereans, and in Acts 17, if you'll read it, mm-hmm. it says, these searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And these things are so, because they were written by a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you. Start off being a Berean, and you'll turn into a Christian and a Christ follower of the highest order. Uh, I'm praying for your journey of faith. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. And I just want to paraphrase you before we finish. You ready for lunch? <laughs> I'm ready for lunch. All right, uh, brother. I, I, I'll pay if you'll pray. Okay, that's the deal. Thank <laughs> you so enough. much, Pastor. Thank you, Thank you so much. Love you, brother. You Bye-bye. too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Well, saints, that's our episode for today. If you stuck around this long, I am extremely grateful to you. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please tell your friends, leave a comment, leave a rating, as it all helps. And if you have an interesting story that you'd like to share with me about how you found God, you can reach me at wewhofindgod at gmail.com. And above everything, remember, Jesus loves you.